chapter 3, Luke chapter 3. And as you know, and if you don't know, we've, we're doing a series on the studies in the life of Christ. And our topic uh, this morning is, is the prayer life of Jesus. It's the prayer life of Jesus. We started last week with what is prayer. And now this is the first study in the prayer life of Christ. And the title of the message is Starting with Prayer, appropriately titled because it is our first start in the series, Starting with Prayer, Luke three, twenty-one through 22. One day after all of the others had been baptized, Jesus stepped up himself to be baptized at the Jordan River. And at first, uh, Apostle John basically said, no way, Lord, I'm not going to baptize you. Because you see, John knew that Jesus of Nazareth was the perfect sinless son of God. He had no sin. He had no need to repent of sin. So why then was the sinless son of God there to be baptized? Well, first of all, in his baptism, he identified with the sinners that he came to save. Secondly, his baptism was the official start of his ministry. In Acts 1, 21 and 22, it says, Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John. Jesus was about 30 years old here, and the Jewish Levites began their work at age 30, according to number, Numbers 4, verse 3 and 35. But our, words, Lord, our Lord's words tell us the main reason for his baptism. Matthew 3.15, Jesus said, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then after that, John went ahead and baptized them. But in what way was Jesus fulfilling all righteousness? He is our righteousness. In the way pictured by his baptism in the Jordan. That's how he was fulfilling the way of righteousness. Many Bible scholars agree that New Testament baptism was by total immersion. They just totally went down under the water. It wasn't sprinkled or, you know, tossed on them or whatever the method might be in some places. And that total immersion was a picture of death. It was a and burial and resurrection. You, in the baptism, you go down under the water. It's a picture of the uh, death and the burial of, of that old life. And you resurrected and you walked in the newness of life. Again, that's what the baptism represents. Jesus' baptism in water was a picture of his, of, of his work of redemption. And it was through his baptism of suffering on the cross that God fulfilled all righteousness. Now, in Luke's gospel, he tells us more about Jesus' praying than the other three gospels. And even though the gospel of Luke tells us more about Jesus' praying the Gospel of John has the longest prayer recorded in the Bible. In the Bible's references to Jesus praying, uh, a lot of the prayers that are recorded by Jesus are very short. And, and some refer to his praying, but it doesn't say anything about what he said in those prayers, but just the fact that he prayed. But all of these scriptures together, the recorded, whether Jesus' words were recorded or not, all of the references to Jesus praying, you know, it puts a great emphasis and importance on praying in Jesus' own personal life. So 
if the pure, flawless Son of God, the one and only Savior of man, thought it was so important to pray, then how much more should we, impure and flawed human beings, look at prayer with the same importance, but even more so in our own lives? The instructions that Jesus gave about prayer are found all through the Gospels. Nobody taught about prayer more and better than Jesus did. So that being true, his instructions about prayer give the best encouragement and help when it comes to time, the time of praying. But as it happens, so often the instructions that Jesus gave about prayer are often misunderstood. And the reason that it is that they are is because people simply don't pay attention to what Jesus said. And, and that, unfortunately, is, is true about not only about prayer, but about a lot of other things that Jesus said. People just don't pay attention. But this is especially true, unfortunately, when it comes to the promises for answered prayer, as we're going to learn in our studies of Jesus's prayer life. Prayer doesn't just seem to be as important in the believer's life today as it should be. We have so many ways to go and so many things we can do in a crisis or an emergency other than depend upon prayer. You know, we can go to the bank for a loan. We can use our credit card or, or whatever it might be. We can go to somebody else who can help us. And, and rather than to wait upon God or to go, to go to God. So, again, it just doesn't seem to be as relevant and important as it should be in the believer's life today. So prayerfully, as I mentioned last Sunday, I hope that these studies will encourage all of us to do more praying and to do it in the right way. Nothing will help us to pray more and pray more in the right way than following Jesus' example and instructions that he gives us about praying. So let's look at now chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. And we see that Luke says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. And just a, a quick side note before we get into it. It's here in verses 21 through 22, you have a, a, a picture of the, of the Trinity. You see Christ is mentioned there, the Holy Spirit and the voice from heaven, the Father that came down. So I always like to make a side note next to the verses that speak about the Trinity. So again, whenever you, you need to use them, you have them there. But in these verse, after Jesus was baptized, he started his ministry. Jesus teaches us here through his example that his ministry started with prayer. Jesus has now left his home because the call of God has drawn him out. He's ready to start his mission. He's now, I guess you could say, at a turning point in his life. He's moved out of his home to start the great work that the father had called him to do. And it's an unmatched work. It's, a, it's an unparalleled or unmatched turning point in his life that's wisely made official, if you could say, uh, official or, or ratified or sanctified by prayer. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the Lord's baptism. But it's only Luke here who tells us that he was praying at this time. Jesus is praying at his baptism. It's the first time we read of Jesus praying. But it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't pray before this. 
Because if he hadn't been praying before this, if he hadn't been in the habit of praying before this occasion, he wouldn't have prayed during this experience. We see that, we saw that in in, uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4 last week. We see spontaneity, spontaneity in prayer. Because after King Artaxerxes had asked Nehemiah, what is your request? He doesn't answer. He prayed. It said he prayed to the God in heaven. You see, spontaneity in prayer is a result of a lot of praying before. The more we pray, the more we will pray. Now, not praying or being slow to pray usually shows that we haven't prayed much in the past. When we do something often, it becomes easier to do. It becomes natural. It becomes automatic. And we'll do it instinctively. The same thing is true when it comes to prayer. So Jesus praying at his baptism was a sign that he had done a lot of praying before he got baptized. Now, what was it that led Jesus to pray? Well, this was the beginning of his earthly ministry. And it's really a great advantage for us to have good prayer habits. We should be ready, especially in those major emergencies and events that will affect us so much for the rest of our life, like the baptism did with Jesus. Jesus praying at his baptism is the first of the examples of Jesus practicing prayer, dealing with major situations and events in his early life. Jesus not only prayed about his baptism, but the Bible says in Luke 6, 12 through 13, that he prayed all night before he chose his 12 disciples. And I'm anxious to get into that prayer. We also read in Luke 9, Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As Jesus prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory. So in his prayer, you know, he experienced a transfiguration. Jesus prayed before some of his miracles like raising Lazarus from the tomb in John 11. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before the crucifixion crucifixion took place. And I believe that's what gave him the victory on the cross. He spent time in the, prayer, in the Garden of Gethsemane in prayer because he knew that he was going to the cross. He knew it was going to be a horrible experience. But he went to prayer before that main event in his life. It gave him victory at the cross. He prayed while he was on the cross. And as you read the Gospels, you see without a doubt that the greatest times of Jesus' life were filled with prayer. His baptism would start the ball rolling in his earthly ministry and everything that would be involved in it. Even the testing by Satan that we know as the great, uh, te- uh, the great temptation in the wilderness in Matthew 4.1. Such an important situation definitely needed the power of prayer. We have to practice prayer faithfully in times of major crises in our lives if we're going to succeed and get victory over them. To become victors and not victims. A lot of people destroy their lives or really mess up their lives during those important decisions that they need to make or those, those important events in their life that weren't dealt with prayer first. And over the years, I have seen families move to another location for a better quality of life, for more affordable housing for maybe a better job, better paying job, 
better schools for their kids because they don't want them to go into the schools out here and for various reasons. And, and, and all of them good in and of themselves. But down the road, when you, know, you, you find out how you're doing, how they, well, you know, the, things have fallen apart. Marriages have fallen apart. They're not serving in ministry anymore. They're not doing the things that they were once doing, you know, when they were, had been fixed in, in the place where God wanted them to be. Was it just a, a, an emotional thing? Was it just an exciting thing to move and to, to take up a, a, maybe a new phase in life? That's great. But you know what? God has to be the one who says, go. Just like his Isaiah when he stood before God in Isaiah chapter 6. He said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live in a, amongst the people of unclean lips. And, and he was praying. And, and then it wasn't until he, he saw God. It wasn't until, until, until Isaiah saw God and saw the vision of God. And then God said, go, Isaiah. Now go. You see, we, we have to have the vision. God has to speak. We have to see him and we have to hear him say, go. Because it, it doesn't matter if everything over, somewhere else is, is going to be good for us. If God is not in it, it is not going to be good for us. It's not going to pan out. Again, who doesn't want these things? But the, the, the question, what does God want for me? Where does he want me to be? What does he want me to be doing, at least for this time? They make the move. Their lives get all messed up because it wasn't what God wanted for them. And it's not because God doesn't want you to have those things. Scripture tells us God has a hope for us. He has a future for us. He, he, his thoughts of you are, are of good and not evil. But again, it has to be in God's timing and it has to be when God says go. We see here that Jesus prayed silently. Jesus' prayer at his baptism was clearly, clearly done quietly. Now, we've covered this already in our studies with Nehemiah, but again, it's good to be reminded over and over again that you don't have to pray out loud in order for God to hear you or answer your prayer. And Jesus' baptism prayer shows us three good things about silent prayer. First of all, God can still hear it. Praying silently is just as effective as praying out loud. You see, God sees the heart. And when the heart is lifted up to him in prayer, the silent prayer is, is just as loud to the Heavenly Father as if it was prayed out loud, as if it was screamed from a mountaintop. So again, it's not a matter of how loud you pray or how long or how eloquent we can pray. You know, again, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear what shape is my heart in when I do pray, whether it's loud or silently? But the silent prayer of the righteous man or the righteous woman will be heard by God. Silent prayer is good in any situation. Any situation. Unlike praying out loud, you can pray silently anywhere and at any time. Now, <clears throat> again, Nehemiah shows us this truth when he prayed in the king's palace. He was concerned. Nehemiah was concerned about the Jews and, and their poor condition and the, and the sad conditions that the city of Jerusalem was in. Walls burned down. The gates were torn down. And it showed in his face when he was performing his duties as a cupbearer uh, before King Artaxerxes. And the king noticed it. And he said, Nehemiah, what, what's bothering you? And then, Nehemiah, and then the king asked Nehemiah, what is your request? 
Nehemiah, how can I help you? And before Nehemiah opened his mouth, it says, and he prayed to the God of heaven. After Nehemiah asked the question, I'm sorry, after, after uh, the king asked the question, and before Nehemiah answered, Nehemiah went to a quick, silent prayer to God, just like Jesus did here when he was baptized. And there will be many times in everyone's life when it will be a wise thing to do to lift up a heartfelt, quick, silent prayer to God for his help. It may not be in a time when you can pray out loud, but we can pray silently and and it can still be effective. And then silent prayer is acceptable in its character. It's, It's acceptable to God. Silent praying, one of the things, one of the dangers about silent praying is that silent praying doesn't have the potential problem that praying out loud has. Like the scribes and the Pharisees, they prayed out loud mainly to be seen and to be heard by people. But you see, silent praying is real praying. Praying out loud is, is sometimes done for others to see and to hear. We need you know, more silent praying. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that, that, that praying out loud is wrong. It's not wrong. But it seldom has the character of silent praying. A lot of people don't do well praying in public. Because they feel, well, you know, I'm not good with words. Or they feel I'm not spiritual enough. Or I'm not skillful enough in public speech. If you don't pray out loud, don't feel that you're not spiritual. Don't feel that you're, you're not as good a Christian as maybe as those who pray out loud or I'm not as spiritual uh, because I don't pray out loud in public because it's hard for you. And it is. I, I remember for a couple of years, it, it, you know, it was hard for me to pray out you know, loud in public. And it, you know, but then I recognized what, what the other people are praying. I can do that. <laughs> You know, it wasn't a, a great Bible study and prayer. It wasn't some fancy wording. It was just simply talking to God, you know, sharing their heart. And there are times, like I said, when public prayer is needed, again, like at mealtimes, where everybody's at the table. But these times don't have to be long, and they don't have to be full of religious words. Make sure you can pray and do pray silently. And don't worry about how eloquent or not eloquent you sound don't worry about that when you pray publicly also we learn from jesus prayer where jesus prayed jesus was baptized at the jordan river this means he was he he prayed in the jordan river now we don't usually think of a river as being a place to pray except maybe in an emergency like the sailors did in Psalm 109 when, you know, the, the waves of the sea were so, you know, the, the, there was such a bad storm that they were freaking out and they began to cry out to God there at the Sea of Galilee. We usually think of religious places where it's best to pray, like a church or a chapel, maybe cemeteries, which might be more suited for prayer. They're not maybe as noisy and, and they're, they're, you know, they're more of a, a, an atmosphere for that prayer. Now, they're, they're, they, are, they are good places to pray. But they're not the only place that a person can pray. We're not limited to those places. Jesus praying at his baptism shows us that we can pray anywhere. Your room, your car, you know, if need be, a, a hospital room. We don't have to be on our knees or in some special quiet place or in a church service to pray. Now, a lot of times in movies or, you know, in real life, you see somebody who wants to pray and, and they often rush to find a church. Oh, I got to find a church. I got to go pray. 
or some chapel to pray when they're, you know, when they're dealing with a problem, when they're experiencing some problem or, or situation in their life. Now, again, these places do have some advantages because, again, they're more, they're more quiet, they're more subdued. But you don't have to wait until you go to a church or a chapel to pray. You can pray in any location. Because, again, it's not the structure or the furnishings that matter to God. It's the heart that matters when we come to Him. It might be more favorable to pray in a quiet place. You know, we see Jesus often went up to the mountains to pray. He took His disciples and said, Hey, guys, let's get away. Let's have some peace and quiet. We'll go up and spend some time with the Lord. And we need to have our quiet places as well. And times to spend quality time in prayer as well. But again, all praying is not secluded praying. Some prayers is emergency praying. Right on the spot. When it is, it's wherever you are. And God hears you no matter where you're located. So then, why did Jesus pray at his baptism? What was the purpose of his praying? Again, this is an important lesson to us to learn today. There are three significant reasons why Jesus prayed. And they're very important and they're very informative reasons why Jesus prayed at his baptism. First of all, he prayed at his baptism to preserve the sacredness of the moment. Jesus' prayer at that moment kind of sanctified or, or formalized or ratified his baptism. You could say maybe it kind of made it official, if you will. Baptism is a very serious and spiritual thing. It's a very spiritual moment. So it's important that these special moments in our life are kept sacred. And one way to do it is to pray. You know, if we don't make and take this spiritual exercise and moment seriously, you know, we won't, we probably won't fa- uh, profit by it and, and, and we'll bring dishonor to it. People who don't know or understand what baptism signifies ends up being a bad testimony to the significance of baptism, to what it actually means. Because there are a lot of people that believe that baptism is salvation and because they've been baptized, they're going to heaven. But they've never been born again. And because they're not saved, though they've been baptized, they live ungodly lives, bringing shame to Christianity and to the Lord. Baptism does not save, so, there, so there, there's no evidence of salvation in their life, no fruit of the new birth. That's why we don't baptize you know, young children, unless they actually know what it is they're doing. We ask them, do they know what baptism signifies? You know, and, and we don't expect a big theological you know, study from the kids. But do they at least know that it's, it's, an, it's an outward display of something that's happened inside? Now, Jesus didn't need to change. Jesus had no sin. He didn't need to be baptized. But he did it in obedience to the word of God and as an example to his fellow brothers and sisters. That's why he got baptized. Remember, Jesus came in his position here as a servant. And he was showing men how to live unto God. So he obeyed the same requirements that, they, that God required of them to be that great example. So that's why he got baptized. So it's the right thing to do to offer up special prayer at the command of the orders of God's word. Because so much of, 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 
of a lot of religious activity today, you know, it, it, it's cheapened, it's carnal, and it's just formalism because it's not taken seriously. And a lot of religious activity today is cheap, it's carnal, because it's not sanctified by prayer. And it's, so it's not surprising when people come to God carelessly and carnally and irreverently without reverence in the things that they do for God. That they, and then they go away just as carnally as they came to God. And a lot of churches who have a lot of religious activity but no substance, it, it, it just keeps people busy. And it's like Paul said, they have a form of godliness, but it denies the power. And, you know, and whatever we do, the bottom line is it should it should lead to people being saved. We don't need to keep people busy in the church. They're busy enough outside in their own lives. But what we do here. The Bible, the men's studies, the women's studies, Pastor Tony's ambassador class, whatever it is. The bottom line, it is designed for the sole purpose of winning people to Christ. And if the sole purpose is not for winning people to Christ, we don't do it. If somebody wants to start a ministry, first thing I ask, what is, what is it designed to do? Oh, well, you know, it'll help people to stay out of trouble. And, you know, it you know, gives, keeps them busy. We don't want to keep people busy. We want to keep them in the Lord. We want them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. Paul said, again, in 2 Timothy 3, 5, he says, they had a form of godliness, but they denied the power of God. And then Paul added in verse 6 of 2 Timothy 3, 5, he says, and from these kind of people, stay away. Because the purpose is, you know, they're just, it's just formalism. But there's no power of the true and the living God. Stay away from such people. I love what A.W. Tozer said about religious activity he says it would be a shock to most of us to learn just what god thinks of our breathless activity and a greater shock to many to find out the true quality of our services as god sees it what does god think and and see of our services does he look at us and just go oh they're just a busy bunch of people but they're busy about nothing I wish they'd talk to me. I wish they'd take my lead and, you know, I, 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 I let them know what to do and, and how to do it. Busy, busy, busy. A.W. Tozer said, We are under no spiritual obligation to aid any man in any activity that has not upon it the marks of the cross. If what we do does not have the marks of the cross, it, it, it really doesn't help anything. A lot of churches, they have very somber, very solemn, very serious services. Though it's all outward, but not much, nothing much inward. But the fact that some have given in to this superficial form of worship does not cancel out the fact that we need to sanctify spiritual exercise. Adrian, Adrian Rogers said, if a church is not supernatural, it's superficial. I love that, so simply put. If a church is not supernatural, it's superficial. It's just a social gathering. That's all it is. Making a church service cheap and making it look like a carnival isn't the way to to answer to ritual without substance. 
Jesus gave much reverence and respect to his baptism by praying. And true prayer will properly sanctify any religious exercise or event. Also, we see prayer provides strength against temptation. Because right after Jesus was baptized, he was led into the wilderness, Matthew 4, 1 says, by the Holy Spirit, where he battled Satan for 40 days and 40 nights while he was fasting. This shows us, Jesus' example shows us, it's always good to go into spiritual battles strengthened by prayer. Prayer can make us strong so that we can overcome evil rather than being overcome by evil. Temptation, temptation has a real hard time getting victory over the believer who prays. But the believer who doesn't pray is a pushover and a target for Satan, but not for the believer who prays. Keep prayed up if you don't want to be set up and tripped up by Satan. Mary, the Queen of Scots, was a longtime enemy of John Knox. Now, John Knox was a Scottish Scottish preacher who brought religious reform to the religion in Scotland. Listen to what she said. She said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. It's especially important to pray for strength against temptation, especially after you've had a great spiritual victory. Why? Because Satan loves to attack us after we've had a great spiritual victory because we tend to let our guard down. You know, we're doing the victory dance and we're, yay, yay, and and then Satan goes, look at him. And then he comes in and he nails us. We become a vulnerable target for, for the enemy. As mentioned earlier, Jesus' baptism was the beginning of his earthly ministry. Starting your ministry in prayer is the best way to start your ministry. Starting the the day in prayer is the best way to start your day. But a lot of times they hear, oh, I got such a busy schedule. I just didn't have time to pray. You know, I got this and I got me. I got this, this. and That's when you need to pray the most. And then they go out. They leave, the, they, they leave their house and they go out and they get all beat up throughout the day. No victory. You know, if you don't start your day in prayer, Satan has it the rest of the day. It will help you assure success in the work of the ministry. Again, we learn this in Nehemiah 1, chapter 4, verses through 11. He's prayed before he did anything. It was four months in prayer before Nehemiah went out and began the work of the ministry. Leaving prayer out is a bad way to start your ministry. And if you're not praying when you start your ministry, you're not likely to accomplish very much during your ministry. A prayerless ministry won't be a successful ministry. And a lot of times in the Lord's work, we make our plans, we have our agendas, we set out in our own strength and power, and then when it goes bad, we blame God. And then we go to God in prayer. Lord, please fix it. We should pray before we do anything for the Lord. Starting with prayer is the best way to start any work for the Lord, no matter what it is. No matter what it is. Then we see the results of Jesus' praying, and we see three great blessings as a result of Jesus praying at his baptism. Look at verse 22. 
And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. So the first thing that we see as a result of Christ, the blessing of, of Jesus' praying is God's power. The Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. The coming of the Holy Spirit on Jesus represents divine power coming upon him. And notice that it came right after he prayed. This is significant. Now understand, Jesus was God, is God at this time. He was God at this time. But he didn't use his miraculous powers to do a lot of the things that he could do. Remember on the cross, he said, man, I could call down legions of angels of my father and put an end to this right now. So it's not that he was doing this because he needed power. Once again, again, he's showing us what we need through his example. We need the Holy Spirit's power to do whatever it is God calls us to do every single day. Because we know it's tough every day. It teaches us that true prayer and power go together. Prayer is power. And we need all the power to live powerful lives and to live victorious lives. And this power comes only from God. Remember when Jesus told the disciples, go wait for me in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father? And you, and you will be, you know, and you will be uh, endued with power from on high. For what reason? So that you will be witness. We cannot be good witnesses without the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Before the Holy Spirit came upon the believers at Pentecost, think of this. They were found spending their time waiting in prayer in the upper room. And it was about a 10-day prayer meeting. Now, they weren't praying for the, for the promise of the Father to come. Jesus said it was coming, so it didn't depend upon their prayer. But while they were waiting, they prayed. They prayed. The Holy Spirit was said, the Father said the Holy Spirit would come. It was a promise of the Father. They were there waiting in obedience to Jesus' command. But while they were waiting, let's pray. They must have been intensely waiting for the promise of the Father. And the way this spoke to me is that, you know, they heard God's word. And you know what? They went and they waited. How important that is. When we look at the promises of God, how important it is to, you know what? God said it. He's going to do it. Ten days they went and they waited for the promise of the Father. They didn't know how long it was going to take to come. I wonder how long they would have waited if it hadn't come in 10 days. But I bet you they would have continued to wait. So very, very early on that day of Pentecost, they all went to the upper room together and each heart was probably asking themselves, man, is it going to happen today? And can you imagine the intensity and the, oh man, what is this going to be like? The power from God, and, you know, is, is it going to happen today? And at the end of the day, they go home and they come back the next day. Is it going to be today? What is it going to be like? There was such an intensity and excitement. Why? Because God said something was going to happen. Their hearts were wide open to receive that power from on high. The power, you see, that their hands would need to do the work of God. Do we understand that we need God's power to do the work of God? Because so many times we trust in the arm of the flesh. 
We go out in our own strength and then we fail. And we wonder why. Those who spend little time in prayer and haven't formed any meaningful habits to prayer, it's no surprise that they won't show much prayer or much power in their life. The second thing that we see in the blessing uh, as the result of Jesus' prayer is the passion of God. Notice what it says in verse 22. And it says, And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son. He received the passion of the Father. You're my beloved son. How wonderful and encouraged and exciting it is to know that we're loved. You know, how especially wonderful to know that, that God Almighty loves us. I mean, it's a great feeling and it's thrilling to know that a human soul like our husband or our wife is in love with us. Then how much more should we be thrilled that God is in love with us and that God loves us? In closing, when we look at all of this, we put all of this together, what great joy it was for Jesus at the baptism for him to hear the voice from heaven to declare his love for him. Now, this is important to make a note of. Again, that this announcement of love came right after Jesus was praying. Those who truly pray will know more about experiencing the love of God than those who don't pray. Those who complain that God doesn't love them aren't those that spend a lot of time in prayer. The more time we spend in prayer, which shows our true devotedness to God, the more we'll see the displays of the kindness of God. The third blessing that we see Jesus receive from his, blessing, from his prayer at, the, at his baptism, notice what it says in verse uh, 22 again. The Father said, In you I am well pleased. Three times in Scripture, God speaks from heaven, and he says he was pleased with Jesus. The first time was here at the baptism. The second time was at the transfiguration of Jesus. And then a little while while later, it was after the crucifixion. Each three of those times, the Father said, it's in you that I am well placed. And significantly, in each of these three occasions, it's written that Jesus was praying just before receiving the Father's heavenly praise. Now, prayer probably is not going to get you much praise here on earth and from men or from the world. But true prayer will get you praise from the Heavenly Father. And that's who I want to be praised by, the Heavenly Father. Lord, thank you so much. Father, for Christ for his prayer life, God, for his example that he's left us, Lord. And Father, help us to follow his example, God. We are called to follow his example. He's our standard. He's the measuring stick. He's the pattern, the mob, whatever we want to call it. He's the one. We are to imitate him. And if we would just do that, God, how much more powerful of a witness we would be for Christ. How many more 
powerful things would be done in his name. How much more powerful the church would be and the love for one another and the, and the ability to forgive and, and, and to love and, and to just have the spirit of Christ. But it comes through prayer. It comes through that time spent with the Holy Father. Teach us to pray, God. But even more important, may we obey and pray. It has to be done. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've never received him. Maybe you've, you've tried praying and, and there's been no success. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the, the Bible tells us that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That is, if I'm living a sinful life or I have sin in my heart and I haven't repented of it, I haven't given it up, Jesus, God won't listen to our prayers. He won't hear my prayers. The only prayer God wants to hear from that one person or those people that, that haven't received him, his Lord, he wants to hear that prayer, Lord, I, I confess to you I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Make me your child. And you be my Lord and my master. And once you've said that prayer, then the heavens are open to you. And you have connected, made the communication line between you and God. The worship team's going to lead us in a time of worship. And if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you want to have that communication line open to God. Then as we worship, you get up out of your seat, make your way towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together. A simple prayer of faith.